0: Hey, what's up and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Serious Issues. Normally we are a weekly po- comic book podcast in which we review multiple comics every single week, but we're doing a special episode this week. My name is Andrew Levins and my co-host is Siobhan Coombs. Hello. And this week we are joined by uh, two fellas who are putting on the, how many years is it now? This is the sixth, I believe. Yes, it is. The sixth incarnation of the Graphic Festival at the Sydney Opera House. Uh, the Graphic Festival, it's just got graphic, isn't it? Yeah, graphic, All caps, graphic, graphic, cool. graphic yep. uh, is a celebration of, of comics, basically, uh, in the most iconic place in Sydney, Centre Point Tower, Upper House. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me from graphic, I've got Jordan Verzar and Ben Marshall. Thanks who for have having been, us in. Uh, the curators and runners of graphic since it began six years ago. Welcome. Lovely Hello. to be here. Um, so, at the heart of graphic is the fact that you two are two people, two dads a dad fest in here, Siobhan. Oh, I'm um, so left out. <laughs> who have, have a dad. Who have grown up with a, a love of comic books. And you, uh, like myself, have been lucky enough to kind of turn your love into... Kind of work. Mm. <laughs> sort of a Big job. Big time. Yeah, I mean, I've
3: recognized both of you guys as um, long-time customers at King's. That's always a nice surprise because I didn't realize that you guys were the people who are um, running graphic. It's extra exciting. Yeah, it's kind I could of... have been hitting you up for free tickets this whole time. <laughs> this whole
2: time, you could have been. No, it's deeply surreal to kind of turn around and go, part of our day-to-day jobs involves programming things to do with comics this and, best, right? you know, the, the, the driving... Yeah, animating principle for the festival is that comics are capable of creating Incredible art, um, but it's in an area that gets sidelined and maligned and marginalised, and um, that we want to use the kind of artistic heft of the opera house to shine a light on those creators who we think are singular voices and who are able to create work that stands up with the best of art being made in, in any other form. Um, and, and you know, not everything in comics is is great. And it, I should say, the, co- the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> I should say as well, the festival also covers uh, animation and illustration and other areas as well but comics is very much at the heart of it Mm. um and yeah it's just the idea of celebrating the gold standard and and treating it as art
3: and sometimes like one thing that i think is really amazing that you guys do with graphic is the mix of people that you get there's people who are much more sort of um like it's a mix of high and low you know like because there's so much that can like so much good that can be found in things that people generally might pass off as not being artistically valid like superhero comics or, you know, someone like Brandon Graham who mostly worked in, like, graffiti and then pornographic comics and things like that um, and then mixed with, sort of, Neil Gaiman who would be considered quite, sort of, highbrow, I guess. Um, I think that's, always, that, that's like, something very exciting about graphics. I think you guys really get all the different sides of comics. And mm, thank you.
4: I, I think I, we've got very broad tastes <laughs> in comics. <laughs> Which is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah,
0: tastes abroad. So, yeah, the guests in the past have ranged from, you know, Grant Morrison and Gerard Way to, like, older people like Len Wayne. Is it Wayne or Ween? Len Ween. Len Ween. Cool. I'm mis- mispronouncing everybody today. Uh, on purpose, it's my thing. Uh, and this year, you've got uh, you have Brandon Graham. You've also got Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons, of Futurama coming Huge. along. Oh, my God. it's massive. You're going to say, actually, it's groaning. <laughs> 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 um, but let's talk about how, how Graphic
4: got started. Um, were you guys both working together at the Opera House? or um, not, not in the beginning. I think that... Um, at the beginning, for me, the inspiration behind Graphic was um, a long time ago. I, tu- I, My day job is I tour bands and I manage bands. Mm-hmm. And a woman who was working at the Opera House was like, why don't you, Virginia Hyam was her name, she was like, why don't you tour Jim Woodring? You're always talking about this Jim Woodring character. And it just kind of blew my head. <laughs> like, what do you mean tour a comic artist? And the act of putting something together for... One of my all time favorite comic artists, Jim Woodring, spurred an idea to be something bigger and greater, um, which eventually, uh, you know, Sydney Opera House um, has, um, you know, has embraced. It's been presented at the Sydney Opera House. Ever since Ben was there from day one coming, I remember the first time actually we sat down and we started talking about illustrations and it was a room of people that didn't really know comics and we were discussing one specific artist's work and Ben made a very astute comment and I was like, <laughs> he knows exactly what he's talking it about. Was
2: Eddie Campbell going to be too <laughs> scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> talking about the Neil Gaiman piece. Yeah.
0: Isn't that funny? Because you can... I mean, this is another example of, of... I've known Ben since I was 17 doing radio together at FBI, and uh, it wasn't until recent years that we both realised... I didn't even know you were involved in graphic, for one, but I certainly didn't know that you liked comics as much as I, or if not more, than what I do. And it's comics is one of those things where, like, you know, there are those people that live and breathe, you know, the, everything they are is a comic book reader. Um, or you have people like us that, like... Love comics so much, but it's just, you know, it's very, you get the opportunity to chat about it with someone by, you know, by chance, really.
2: Mm. Totally. I mean, because I I got assigned to graphic without anyone knowing at the Opera House that I like comics <laughs> and it was sort of, it was working up this idea of Jordans and how do we turn it into a festival and um, and I've been sort of on and off with comics for a lot of my life. I was sort of 6, 7 years old I was definitely buying them and interested in them and then kind of became a real collector at kind of 12 all the way through my teenage years and then I sort of gave away all the superhero stuff at the peak of the X-Boom and discovered Watchmen and Neil Gaiman and all the Vertigo things and I kind of took all my X-Men comics into the local comic book store, sold them at no. the peak of the market yeah. <laughs> and kind of bought good bought idea. every kind of trade, yeah, trade paperback I could. And the owner of that comic store in Perth would like, he, years later, he'd be going, geez, you did me, like you sold them at the top of the market. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you got a deal. Um, and then I just sort of fell out of, 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 of collecting them. It was sort of, I, I tend to follow writers. Mm-hmm. And when the good stuff is out there, I I have to kind of be close to it. But if there's nothing good I will sort of drift off and it feels like there's an. it's an amazing time for comics. I'm, oh, buy, I'm buying more monthly comics than I have bought since I was kind of 17, 18.
0: Siobhan and I are certainly reading more monthly comics than we than ever, have ever have in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more than anyone in Australia.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's fascinating as to why comics strike some people as such a sort of profound art form yeah. and, and why it...
3: And I've always, I've always felt that, like, you either... Because some people, no matter how much I go, like, like my mum, for example, I will constantly be like, Mum, here's here's a comic about James Joyce, your favourite thing in the world. And she'll just go, I just don't like picture books. And you go, like, you just... You either get it and it grabs you or you just kind of can't get your head around it.
4: I, I think that some people aren't used to digesting a visual narrative.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had a friend the other day who was like, so when I'm reading this, do I read all of the, like the word balloons and like do I read all of the the noises in my head and I was like well I don't understand what you mean because yeah. you just kind of look at it and you just do the words in your
2: head and the sound effects out loud yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. yeah it was it was a confusing conversation but um, I would watch that Do you put that on stage <laughs> at the opera house like
2: 10 different
0: people reading different comics yelling the onomatopoeia the- as, <laughs> yeah. as they read it
2: <laughs> there's a thing yeah I, I mean Alan Moore talks I love Alan Moore's interviews there's so much in there and he talks about sort of why do comics do this why do they do something remarkable to your mind and um, he said as well the CIA did a study on um, what is the easiest way for a brain to take in information that is anything beyond sort of a stop sign Uh, and they found that comics is the easiest way to kind of get information straight into the head and there's something that goes on where you're controlling the pace of the narrative so it's not like a film or a tv thing where it's just blowing past you at the rate an editor or a director has decided you're having to read words and use one half of your brain and look at images and use the other half of your brain and you control the pace of it and that sense of being able to go forwards and backwards and look at things closely or move fast is, is quite unique and i think it just grabs some people's brains deeply It certainly grabbed Traps mine mm. Mm.
0: there is that in a climate that we're in now like there is that inevitable like you know oh, which comic do you think will be turned into a movie first, next mm. and I hate that discussion I just wish comics would stay comics Yeah. because I feel like they work so many of my favourite comics will only work as a comic and never anything else
3: yeah like I mean I don't think Watchmen should have ever been made into a movie because it's perfect it's a, like it is the perfect thing as it is it is built for comic books and everything about it is it
4: is you know? I, I can't help but enjoy it though Oh, no, yeah. But yeah. totally. that's it, I'm still
0: I'm seeing every single one of them still. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I certainly enjoy the, the superhero movies because that is about the character more so mm. than adapting And the
2: special effects. Of course yeah, true. yeah. And there's some one of those things, I think Grant Morrison, because I I kind of, I drifted away from superheroes. I think Jordan's still, you know, you read and are in that world maybe a little more than I I am these days. It's possible (laughs) to live. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you've got to go as well. Grant Morrison was saying, you know, you've got to acknowledge that comics do superheroes really, really well. Yeah. It's a, you know, it is a great technology for superheroes. And kind of blockbuster films is also, they are great for superheroes. Um, And I can't remember who it was who was talking about an adaptation of their work being Turn into a film and it not being good Probably Alan Moore and how he felt about <laughs> He would you never know, complain about <laughs> it <would you? laughs> How did you feel about them wrecking Your work and kind of turns around behind him and is like, "It didn't wreck it. It's on the shelf right yeah. there, just as I wrote it." And I think whether you like the film or you don't like the film adaptations of comic book works, you do have to kind of go. It is separate. It's it a, is. running a totally different race. It's great to see the inspirations and there's kind of threads through it, but it's it's just it's a different thing, and you can still completely enjoy the, you know, Absolutely. the printed work.
3: I feel the same way about people who complain about like things being rebooted. It's like, yeah, it's fine, like, but things can't exist forever and you can always go back and read the trades the video comics. There is
4: such a thing as too much reboot, for, in <laughs> yeah. my opinion. I think we've kind of got there some major companies. We are at maximum reboot, right? Maximum reboot. It's like, what is the origin? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Siobhan and I were talking the other day. Siobhan worked at King's Comics years and years ago, took a small break to work el- elsewhere, yes. um, and then uh, found her way back. Um, but your comment, Siobhan, was that it's insane to you to see just how big the comic scene is now compared to yeah. even that few years ago, but when you were working here last, just how many more people and the diversity of people who read comics. Absolutely.
3: Like, I mean, I started at Kings in 2008 when I was 17 and like, it's, I couldn't, I, I don't think I could have even imagined something like graphic existing then. Mm. And I certainly couldn't have like, I mean, I, I run our women's only comic book reading group called Queens of Kings now. I couldn't have imagined that happening. You know, like, um, do you guys feel like the the industry has changed, especially in terms of graphic? Like, are you guys getting more and more people each year?
2: Or? Yeah. I mean, look, for me personally, I, I was really inspired by the kind of big wave of Vertigo Comics when that happened. In the, It was sort of, this was a grown-up. It was things like, you know, Peter Milligan's Enigma, and I, I was just became a huge Peter Milligan fan um, and, and then it sort of dwindled down a little bit for me and what I kind of the bit that's really inspiring me at the moment is seeing Image Comics doing this incredibly imaginative run of titles that aren't locked into most of the superhero tropes now a lot of it is science fiction which is kind of you know a natural area for comics but it's been a long time since I read even one science fiction comic and here is Image with you know Eclipse and Saga and, and- and like Copperhead and romance. Yes. Even
3: something like Snot Girl. I couldn't... Like, Snot Girl is you reading that one, Brian Lee O'Malley's
0: latest
2: one? I'm not. I looked at the t- the yeah, cover I and went, what the hell is this? Fantastic. It looked fantastic. Yeah.
3: It's like a... I don't even know. It's like a teen-ish romance. Hmm. Like, But it's it's, it's, a it's not like on anything media. else. It's, yeah, yeah. It's
4: I just think that there's so much diversity in the world of comics right now. And that, and that coupled with the films and also independent comics being taken seriously by the mainstream... <sighs> and being turned into films has kind of opened up the world of comics to the mainstream like it never has before, and also the birth of all the superhero movies and so on and so forth. It's infiltrated the public consciousness and the kind of mass mainstream culture more than it ever did. Um, For me, I kind of felt a little bit embarrassed for most of my life to actually talk about the fact that I'm a comic collector, and over the past, specifically with graphic, you know, but even before graphic, I no longer feel like i you know there's any kind of social stigma about reading comics or being into comics or collecting comics at all i think it's widely accessible and that's a, that's a good thing and i think that because they're so popular right now there's you get things like snot girl and sci-fi space romance and manga it's infiltrated all these different genres and formats and i'm super interested to see where comics will go next with technology for me i've just been enjoying digital comics mm-hmm. and i've been checking you know the guided view and all of this type of stuff i'm like mm. you know the the you know 3 or 4 years ago marvel did what was it the infinite comics yeah, series the, the that all yeah all that were made specifically digital for digital reading, yeah. and you know and 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 you know like Boulet and some of his web comics and all of that type of stuff i find it really interesting watching how artists are playing with the form mm. right now and how playing with the form will morph even more with digital and like you were saying about the Watchmen, you know, like that was such a gold standard with mm. the placement of the panels and the the interspersion of the Black Freighter and so on and so forth, how all of that worked. I think we're definitely in another renaissance and golden age of comics.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a total cliche, but talking about the effect the internet's had, you know, my day job's head of contemporary music at the Opera House, Jordan's a you know, promoter and an, and an agent. In music, there are bigger areas and niche things can have a bigger audience than they've ever had before and it used to be if you liked obscure music or wanted to discover obscure music you know you used to need to try and read the backpack of the older kid at school <laughs> scroll down you know you recognise the cramps but you haven't heard of this band under here you'd write them down on a bit of paper you'd wait for the weekend to catch a bus into town you'd go into the record store you'd try and find a copy you pay you'd pay $70 <laughs> for an import <laughs> copy you, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you'd wait you know hours to listen to it and sometimes it was really disappointing. It made it hard to go and discover things um, and not everyone lived near a record store whereas now anyone can kind of come across something on, you know, Tumblr it, or it Facebook. Co- it costs
0: you $10 a month to have every song ever recorded yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apple Music is, it's, fucked it's, it. it's, it's crazy.
2: It's crazy <laughs> but you can discover cool things. Absolutely. And, and for the future of things, I, I, you know, Brandon Graham's part of the festival, uh, I just adore. The island anthology that him and Emma Rios do. And it feels to me like a third way. For a very long time, there was sort of. Indie Comics is kind of Fantagraphics and the Comics Journal and a very serious sort over there and they do great, great work. Then there's kind of the majors and the labels that want it to be a bit like the majors, like the superhero image works. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the island stuff is this sort of third way or fourth way of incredibly innovative creators that don't really fit the traditional indie comics format Mm -hmm. and don't really have a home in the majors. But it just feels incredibly free and loose and liquid and the voices that they're bringing up through this anthology just blows me away. It's one of the things that's got me incredibly inspired about the future of comics.
0: Even just the forward from Brandon each month is worth reading with his weird little illustrations that kind of link to to what's happening in that issue. and and
2: I love that there's absolutely nothing careerist about it. This is just two people, Emma and Brandon sitting down, grabbing the people that they love and going, hey, you should do something for us. And there's this global, you know, where these people come from, it's all over the world. There's this global kind of reservoir of absolute talent that doesn't have a normal outlet. And I think at some point we'll be looking back to this going this is this led a lot of good stuff into comics.
4: I uh, was recently in Canada and in this tiny little place, Prince Edward Island, and I rocked into the local comic store. it was in the first block near my hotel and I got uh, the first uh, sorry the issue number two, three, and four I think it's uh, June, July, and August of heavy metal. Oh God, original, how good the oh. original for six dollars each. What? You know, I mean, it's interesting because I agree with everything you were saying there, Ben, but like we've. The the Europeans have had a whole different take on comics than us, you know? Yeah, I know. European comics is
3: like a completely different universe. I have a theory, and I don't know if this is correct because I haven't done enough historical reading, but I feel like it's probably to do with the Comics Code Authority because they didn't really have that in Europe. They were allowed to really experimental and explore things and the more things that we get translated into English is is super exciting stuff that's existed for
2: I reckon there's... Years a, and years. Yeah, I reckon that's got to have a lot to do with it. it also, Europe didn't get the ten cent Plague, you yeah. know, undermining morals, the McCarthyite. Exactly. You know, Arch Beegelman's thing he did for graphic, the wordless piece, I don't know if you guys caught it. It's a fantastic line. We talked about how he got into comics and he was buying comics and how he ended up as a cartoonist and he was buying comics off the newsstand and reading kind of pretty middle-of-the-road fare and his father went and got him kind of... Comics that had been taken off the newsstand and had the covers ripped that were kind ton of tons cheaper. It's like you're spending too much on comics. I've got these for you at a discount rate. And they were all the kind of really dark, horror, mm. horrific, <laughs> sexual <laughs> overtones. It was like he foisting them on his son without knowing what was in them because they were cheaper. And art's kind of mind being melted and then kind of getting into it. But I think that sense, it, 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 I think it stopped a lot of the comic explosion its tracks in America at the time. Yeah, um, and Europe was just free to, to do its thing and treat as art as well, mm. whereas in America it was sort of still the funny books, yeah, the funny yeah. books, the bottom less of the pile. social
4: stigma around it. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, Tintin, Asterix. You know, those were the those were the big guns, and then there was everything else that Absolutely. was coming out, and people in, in the Benelux region, and and let's not forget about Japan. You know, it's an acceptable format just to enjoy. Well, it even more so now. Mm.
2: it Absolutely. is, And it's always seemed that they've been quite sort of separate, the European world and the American comics world. And,
4: yeah, one of the things I love
2: about Ireland is that he's pulling in people from yeah. the European world and the American world and the manga world, and it is actually sort of feel like it's cohering a little bit into... Into one thing, which I haven't seen done before.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think Grant Morrison now being on Heavy Metal Mm. as well. There's some really interesting stuff coming through there from a sort of European anthology comics perspective as well. Into
4: Epic. Do you remember Epic Illustrated? It was Marvel's foray into the uh, into the kind of heavy metal zone. I know the 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 logo. logo. (laughs) <laughs> it's all those incredibly expensive expensive Mobius
2: reprints. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, th- that was from the early 80s or the late 80s. They were epic. I think they just closed it down. I think it, it, was it stopped good. making the money. A it did a lot of, of good stuff. So over
0: the six years of graphic, can you tell us some of the highlights for you guys personally? Yeah. <laughs>
4: um, Many. The fact that it... Ever happened <laughs> the well, okay also well, before thing. we
0: get to highlights, should you tell us about that first year, what what mm. you were setting out to do, what your fears were, and, and whether you think it was successful off the bat
4: um, the very first year it was just the fact that it would even happen you know was just astonishing to me that uh, a arts organization and a institution like the Opera House would support something that was kind of rooted in comic books and uh, I think for me there, there's been so many highlights you know and every year there's something that is a highlight to me the fact that um, that we can blend mediums like we do I'd like just like to go down as saying that I don't think that graphic would be I think graphic is unique so much of the stuff that we present has never been done before may only ever be done that one time um, and is entirely new content which is being premiered at graphic and I think that what that, that comes down to the fact that both Ben and I are used to working with artists and musicians and presenting stuff like that. And I don't think that a lot of other organisations do that. So we kind of take a different angle when we're speaking to the artists that we work with and when, and when we come up with ideas for shows. Um, a huge highlight for me in the first year was beginning to work with Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know... He agreed that he'd like to come and do something at Sydney Opera House. And then uh, it, it was Virginia, actually, who worked with Amanda Palmer. And she's like, yeah, he, Amanda's husband, he does comics. His name's Neil Gaiman. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and so she, I think, introduced me to him. And then we. he's just like, yep, I want to do something at Sydney Opera House. And then we just got the ball rolling from there. And he's like... Well, I have a story that has never been printed and never read aloud. Here it is. Tell me what you think. And I'm like, everything, I can die now. You know, all is good, you know. And so it was a great collaboration, you know, beginning to sort through what he heard in the story and, you know, just working with Neil to bring to life a story from what he'd written to the stage of Sydney Opera House complete with custom-made illustrations and a score done by a string quartet foreplay. You know, that was a huge highlight for me. Jim Woodring. Ben, you've got to have a few. Yeah,
2: I mean, look, on the high level, kind of, looking back, is that sense of being able to treat this work as art and to have it kind of presented as art and treated that way, which is the way that I've always engaged with it. You know, when I read a good novel or look at an an amazing painting and I'm moved by it or listen to an incredible record, it's the same as as great art in comics and yet it doesn't enter the conversation of artistic license in anywhere near the same way and I think that's a shame so there's a huge kind of rush seeing a festival that can treat it this way um, and seeing the artists really enjoying being treated as artists um, and the terror beforehand and the terror beforehand <laughs> and and you have the fact that you're bringing something new and together I think you know when Jordan and I were first putting this thing together there was a sense of kind of going okay cool now we're going to do this thing we've got a budget let's get online and Google these shows and start booking them and kind of going oh my god there's nothing out there <laughs> like we're actually gonna have to build all these these things from scratch... Um, but, you know, Brendan McCarthy, who I discovered through Peter Milligan, was this figure that from 1996 onwards, I was reading interviews about this Mad Max 4 he was co-writing with George Miller. And around, you know, 2010, I just gave up thinking this thing was happening. And then, you know, the trailer gets released in 2014 or whatever it was and freeze the last frames. like, oh my God, Brendan McCarthy, he's one of the co-writers. And that was the spur to then getting George Miller in, on stage and having the co-writers of Mad Max Fury Road purely because I just love this underground English kind of cult 2000 AD illustrator (laughs) who I think is one of the most creative minds in art and you're able to kind of turn it into this fantastic moment it's a huge rush Matt Groening, you know, was one of the first emails we sent back in 2010 going, would you like to be part of Graphic and getting shut down by, you know, lawyers and producers. And every year I'd send an email with all the photos. And there was one incredibly cool lady at Fox, um, Antonia Kaufman. And every year she would say to me, you know, I tell uh, Matt gets hundreds of these queries every day. I tell everyone to go away, but I think you should persist. I think this looks like just the sort of thing Matt's into. And we ended up kind of meeting up with Matt in 2013. He's like, "I want to do it. Count me in." And then he couldn't do 2014 or 2015 <laughs> and then 2016. And not only does he do it, but he, um, you know, we get a Simpsons cartoon yeah. out of it. And do, you uh, just go? This is was that, was that part
0: of the part of the deal? Or he just no, said, oh, that was it was one of yeah, the th- For those who haven't seen, it, we'll put it on our on our wall. But uh, there's a, a a video of Homer Simpson uh, voiced by Dan Castellaneta. Um, I pronounce that one right. Jordan
2: we're going to pay it I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: but probably animated in front of the opera house like talking about the graphic to it, that, that greatest
4: promo
2: clip ever. Yeah, look, and we've got to give That's a shout mind-boggling. out We have to give a shout out to Justin Tam on that one. He snuck into Comic Con this year and he's like, oh, they did like a custom animation piece for Comic Con and we'll kind of kick around all the cool things we should do with Matt Groening coming out and um, yeah, a custom animation was one of the things. You should Dream big wow. and you know, it wasn't cheap but in the scheme of things you know, worth every penny. Mm. It was a big moment of our work here is done. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, he loved the idea. He didn't want to come out and just do a talk. He was like, you know, if I wanted to come out and stand on stage of the Opera House or anywhere else to do a talk, I'd have done that kind of 30 years ago. I love the fact that this is a festival that celebrates this stuff as art. And we don't get, you know, there's not a lot of kind of artistic conversation on this. Because graphic isn't about launching new things. It isn't about new products.
4: Let's get this dinner party started.
2: It's not about fashion it's about the genuine gold standard whether you've released anything recently or not kind of doesn't come into it if you if you're great you can be be a part of this and it can be as ambitious as a you know a commissioned on stage performance with a jazz orchestra like Art spiegelman or uh, just a straight talk but we these voices we think are important and they're singular and distinctive and deserve this kind of spotlight on them
0: yeah and, and to bring it back to you know our passion matt graining started out as a cartoonist with mm. life is hell and school is hell and they're great books. You they know, are to, to, fantastic. To Have you, you can...
2: read Will and Abe's Guide to the Universe? Yes. Yeah. yeah. A long, just, long ago. Yeah. So great. And he treats himself as, I'm a cartoonist and this is his world. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, I look after Vivid Live and program music generally and Jordan, you know, looks after a lot of music bands. The camaraderie amongst kind of graphic alumni is so much higher. You find that, you know, Sean Tan, Neil Gaiman, George Miller, all these people will kind of champion the festival. They're not mm. blowing through eighteen of these a year. Sure, there's a real sense of okay, the arc incorporates everyone. Everyone cares about being a part of this, which is you don't get that in music festivals the same Absolutely.
3: way. So, do you guys have any big, big name guests that you'd still like to get for future
4: graphics? Yes, <laughs> always <laughs> dream big, guys. Let us, let us know who, who,
0: who, what's like. You know, who are the people that you have that you've either reached out to and haven't heard back from, or ones that you're still working up the courage to it to reach out to.
4: Personally, I would love to have Chris Ware and every year I would like to have Jim Woodring. I'd like <laughs> That's to, just like I, the
3: most regular guest. <laughs>
4: yeah. Which particular I, Jim Woodring work is, oh, he is did this, your most... Please yeah. stand by My, that
2: we did in 2011. Floored me.
4: Yeah, do you mean like what Yeah, because we,
0: yeah, we, we are going to talk about comics that got <laughs> okay. you into comics to begin yeah, with. Yeah, like well, In particular, which of his?
4: It's very hard, but I would just say the original Frank comics that were mm. released in the floppy format. I was buying them when they came out, and they were my reintroduced. Like Ben, I went through a period, you know, where, I don't know, I, I kind of fell out of love. I never felt completely out of love with comics, but I kept buying them all the time. I got obsessed by music and girls and other stuff, you know. But um, I was reintroduced to comics by Jim Woodring because I had never really gotten into independent and alternative and kind of, I don't know, the kind of Fantagraphics style of comics before and then he blew me away. So really it's it's Frank, you know, but I just think that his articulation, his attention to detail, his innovative lettering um, his storylines that are you know, you can interpret them however the hell you want at certain times you know, I think that in years to come he, he will be regarded as one of the great surrealist artists of the world whether he's a cartoonist or not.
2: Look, we always want to get Alan Moore and I think we try we and have tried really so we've been told off the record a whole bunch of reasons why it's never going to happen. And look, it's also, you know, you see it's hard to get into London from Northampton and get him to Australia. Mm-hmm. probably just got to put a line through that one. But, you know, I, I think he's an incredible thinker. Um, I think he's the closest we've got to like a living William Blake type character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just devour all his interviews and there are incredible notes. Gets sort of his kind of philosophy and thought. He's board. a beard
0: with a writer attached. to
3: it. <laughs> Are you going to read his his
2: novel? The
4: I new
0: will. Sort of Is it the million page? word yeah. Jerusalem? I will. I will keen,
4: make my way through it. But I think uh, I yeah, need, you
0: can I have, I have need a fortnight long performance of it at the next graphic. <laughs> <laughs> Did
2: you read the voice in the fire? No, It's fantastic. It, is, it has got one of the hardest first chapters ever. <laughs> it's in the voice of this disabled Paleolithic cave boy, oh, okay. and it's he's limited himself to something like 175 words, um, but it's unbelievable, and it's all set in... Kind of the town of Northampton, going from kind of prehistory to present day. Him mm. in the house, um, and he said that was a little bit cosmopolitan. So Jerusalem is like the one corner block of Northampton <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he's decided to get to. Um, look, you know there there are there are always other voices. I'm a huge fan of David Lapham as well, mm-hmm. I and I, I mean. think stray he's a complete is, auteur yep. with stray bullets.
0: Actually, I, I tagged you recently when we did our Batman and uh, episode, and uh, you, you are a big fan of David Lapham's. Rowan Detective. What was that called again? It was a uh, City of Crime. Yeah, I went so back and read it after you tagged me it? on it. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: fantastic. Apparently, it coped to kicking at the time. I only just picked up the trade, but um, I think he's yet yeah, another really singular voice. And, you know, in any form of literature, stray bullets would stand tall. Mm. I'd like to have Joe Sacco. Mm. Mm?
3: That would be pretty huge. Mm.
0: Can you please bring out Ed Brubecker and Sean Phillips? Oh. Yes. Or Kate <laughs> Um fantastic. I'd like to see Kate Beaton. I want Jason yeah. Aaron.
4: Jason Aaron, Aaron would be cool. great. I want yeah. Brian K. Vaughan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want yeah. Fiona Staples. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. the list could go on. Be, be here all day. <laughs> Kelly Sue DeConnick. <laughs> yep, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love
2: Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples' work on, on Saga. It's, again, we are talking about comics being made into films, mm. and you just look read that and you go, you have gone, you guys have gone out of your way to make sure this thing can never yes. be filmed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is well, really kind is, of great.
0: I reckon even more so with Paper Girls. Yeah. Yeah, Happy starts out as like, oh, this would be a great movie. And then we're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> this can only exist <laughs> in comics. <Yeah. laughs> totally.
2: Which is which is wonderful. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, what about like you know going back to your your, your first introductions to comics? I'm assuming we're superheroes. Yep, um, absolutely.
4: not for me. It no? was Richie Rich and Bugs Bunny. Sure, nice. Yeah,
0: for, for me it was Disney comics, which yeah. is probably sure oh, an, an similar. Oh, of course, house. Ma-
4: Carl Barks. Exactly. Yeah, Come yeah. on, yeah, actually, yeah. if you want to go right back to the start,
2: I think it was probably Asterix. You yeah. know, it was bought from by parents, mm-hmm. and there was some kind of history of the world comic that was done by some underground cartoonist that started with kind of amoebas and led to the present day and went through dinosaurs. Mm. That made a really big impression. on me as well
0: yeah Yeah,
3: I'm sorry I was just gonna say I had these comic strips of um like Shakespearean plays that were probably when I really think about it my first introduction to comics and like created a love of a whole bunch of things
4: did you did you used to get the classics illustrated
3: no no that was too much for my parents um (laughs) but I had these Marsha Williams um Greek myths and legends and Shakespearean plays that were Mm. amazing
4: I got all the early classics illustrated so I could be well versed in the classics without having to read the novels <laughs> <laughs> another fantastic cheat logo cheats. I yeah. love the classics illustrated totally. logo, yeah, yep.
3: a logo. I, have a, I have a manga version of um, Ulysses so I never have to read that <laughs> <laughs> a, a manga of, um, Ulysses, so fantastic
2: yeah and then at some point I think I noticed comics in the newsstand and um, I think maybe Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew are kind oh, of yeah. six years old in Caratha, and then that led to Batman I got totally into Batman in that era Um, and then we moved down to Perth when I was 10 and I remember kind of rummaging through a secondhand bookshop pile of comics and I was watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends on television at the time Iceman and Firestar and there was kind of an Iceman or a Firestar off comic and I read that and that got me into the X-Men and then I read the X-Men solidly from kind of 10 to 15 or whatever it was and then yeah as I said before there was I think that was pretty much it and Spider-Man Todd McFarlane I was kind of sloshing around the superhero end of things moving between I, the superhero stuff was mostly Marvel I think after the Batman kind of DC period um, which was a little younger and then completely jumped headfirst into Vertigo um, and kind of left everything behind, maybe a little quick in retrospect. But at the time it was just like, this world is speaking to me kind of 17, 18 in a really kind of big way. Um, yeah, that I, was, that was my arc.
0: I, I completely avoided superhero comics until my twenties. So I was, Whoa. yeah, I did like Disney stuff and then I did obviously mad magazines and all that kind of entry level primary school mm-hmm. stuff that was really readily available. I love Scrooge McDuck. I love Donald Duck, all those kind of comics. And then, uh, uh, I got written to Fantagraphics first. I was in very early high school reading Robert Crumb and and uh, uh, and Usagi as well. The, um, Usagi
4: Yojimbo. Yeah, that's
0: right. I, I got uh, I, someone lent me a, the Space Usagi trade, and I recognized the character from Ninja Turtles. Fantastic. Uh, and then yeah, so I did Fantagraphics all throughout high school, that was like pretty much the only comics I read. But I read everything. And then it wasn't until like like you know you know the last decade or so, a bit earlier than that, that I got like went head over heels for Superman superhero stuff.
4: I'd say that's probably quite. A rare way of going about things.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Give uh, you a unique lens on it. So it's no, I've, I've
0: still yet to burn out on superhero. I'm, I'm, we, we are reaching <laughs> the tipping point, <laughs> point at the moment. But uh. <laughs>
2: there's great superhero comics. I, it's yeah. Ecstatics is one of my favourite ever yeah, kind Milligan. of comics. It's the like, thing yeah. that
3: frustrates me when people like because there are people even within comics who will dismiss superhero comics, and it's like yeah, I can appreciate why the sort of constant, the constant reboots and the constant events and all that sort of stuff, and it seems so cyclical and nothing ever changes and the same stuff happens all the time but then there's amazing then there's stuff depth. that can happen only within that genre and only within that form that you can't get in anything else and there's stories like like the Omega Men um Tom King story that he did at DC last year I just I had a really emotional moment where I was reading it where I was like this couldn't exist in anything else like this is a purely superhero comic book and there's nothing else that could tell this story and it's like a brilliant story to tell and I think that's the, amazing
0: have you guys caught the Tom King bug yet Oh, no, you not, not reading The, the no, Vision. No. Oh my God, guys. Oh, that's the best comic of the year. What? Tom wow. King and Gabrielle Walter. Right. Levin so. says these things. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, be Either that or, or, or Tom King's other comic, at Vertigo, which is called Sheriff of Babylon.
3: He's, he's very, very brilliant.
0: He's, incredible got some to he's currently Jordan? doing Batman at the moment, which is not quite as good as those two things, or Omega Man, but yeah. he's a...
4: I'm enjoying these um, origin stories. Siobhan, how did you get into comics? Oh,
3: well, <laughs> um, I think for me, it was a much more basic, like, Archie... Tintin straight into Teen Titans. Yeah, <laughs> that was right. The second I, but like, it was mostly like Archie and Tintin and Asterix and stuff like that growing up. As a kid. Yeah, yeah. as a kid. And then the second I got a job and had my own money. It was straight to the newsagents. How did
2: Tintin mm. cross? Sorry, how did Teen Titans cross cross your path?
3: Well, I, when I first got um, my first sort of casual job, and I'd just go and spend all of my pay at the newsagents near work, uh, near my school, and it was just all they had. So I started reading a lot of Batman and Batgirl, and then I picked up an issue <laughs> of Jeff John's Teen Titans, and I was just like, oh my God, this is for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, didn't really understand why. And then. Um, from then, at po- that point on, I was earning enough to be able to come into Kings on a weekly basis and buy myself a trade, huh. and that was fantastic. That was about it. And I became completely obsessed with the DC universe from there, from Infinite Crisis and everything spawned out from there. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Finding a
0: place where you can actually buy comics is very, very important when you're young. Absolutely. So if, I think for me, like Fanagraphics was easy to find because I lived near a Borders in Hornsby before that one died out right. recently. And they had, they had everything Fantagraphics ever did in the graphic novel section, but they had no superhero stuff.
4: It's really interesting you say that. Um, I just had a trip overseas, and as you may be able to tell from my accent, I used to live in California, mm-hmm. well, in America, and for me, I, was, I moved there from Australia, and I first discovered comics at the newsagents in Australia, and it was, you know, the Archie's Classics Illustrated... Richie Rich. The Phantom. The, yeah, I never yeah. got into the Phantom. No one ever no got into, one the, phantom. Got into yeah. the Phantom. <laughs> Did you used to
2: read like the Murray's comics? Yeah, I the black and white of reprints? Yeah, the, the Murray <laughs> comics, all of that. But Net- then oh, we no, moved no, to the Gingermags. States.
4: Ginger Megs? <laughs> oh, yeah, Ginger Megs. We moved to the States when I was like five. And from then on, it that was it. It was like, you know, I could go to the 7-Eleven and there was every title mm. imaginable. And it was great. I recently went back and visited the Seven Eleven where I started my crazy comic collecting. <laughs> but you know, this is back in the day, and in America we had this thing called the um, the uh, it was a LA Comic Convention. It was sold at the Washington Hotel or something, and I just used to raid the twenty five cent bins and that was how I got a room full of yeah. comics.
3: That's the most exciting thing about going to um, America ever is going to like, like my boyfriend's family lives in Kansas and just going to random comic book stores in Kansas and finding like just so many back issues uh, mm. that we just don't really have in Australia. Uh, no, like, we do that it's Kings all in the Like <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Just having them accessible, you know. Is it is, isn't
2: it? And it's that sense again in Europe and America this is much more widely part of the culture yeah. that it was around everywhere. It was really hard. I mean, I was in Caratha in the northwest of Australia yeah. and it was you were limited to the newsstand but it was still a time where the newsstand carried a good range of comics yeah. and then you discover a specialty store and your mind kind of explodes going oh my god there's all of this but it's a wonderful, the newsstand was such a great gateway to kind of funneling people to specialty stores and that, that that pathway seems to be largely gone now I uh, guess or maybe yeah. it's online
4: there's I a whole- I mean I, I mourn I, I'm, I collect records as well and I, I love like Digging, mm. you know, digging Absolutely. for records, digging for back issues, having the things that you want to get. And it was funny, we were talking before about you were, Levins, you were talking about monthly comics. And that's one of the things that I've mused on quite a bit. I think one of the reasons that I became a very avid comics collector was because there were no trade paperbacks. Back when I first started collecting comics and I was so into the stories, I could not wait until the weekend so I could get to the 7-Eleven and find out what happens next. And it's that kind of addiction to story thing, which I think really drove comics back then, especially with superheroes view. comics yeah, still today. Totally. You know, like it,
0: it really lent those kind of stories lend themselves to being released monthly or, or bi-monthly as they're being released now.
2: But uh, it's yeah. a grand soap opera. Yeah, yeah. you want, yeah. You want yeah. to know what's going on? And, and and like, how really, are they going to get yeah, out of this? Twenty one?
0: different like <laughs> g- comics that all kind of contribute to the same story. going But forward. it is
3: part like it's this. It's this huge. It is the most expansive soap opera of all time. And you can look like if you have been reading, reading comics for twenty years, or if you've gone back and read comics from 30 years ago, it can influence what's happening today and it can influence the way you read things. And it's just like, I feel like I'm part of like a special club because <laughs> you get to understand all this and you get to know all this huge universe.
2: And they are these sort of strange parallel universes yeah. that have you know, the accumulated storytelling of, you know, hundreds of people over decades. Yeah. It's all kind of one consistent fabric, you know, crises and crossovers notwithstanding. It's, it, it, it's amazing.
4: It's funny reading some of the current comics when there's, you know, in-jokes from things that happened in the 80s. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> they, they know their audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: It's like, I get this, but I know that 14-year-old doesn't.
0: <laughs> so we've spoken a lot about, you know, the graphics of, of the past and, and, and our history um, with comics. But what about graphic this year? Uh, what are some of the things that you guys are excited to, to watch, to be a part of?
2: Look, Matt Groening, yes. Matt Groening and Linda Barry, you know, yeah. she's an incredible talent. I,
0: I
4: can't, I, I mean, the Matt Matt, and Matt and Linda are obviously two huge highlights. And for me personally, they're in two very different ways. You know, firstly, you know, Matt Groening is doing Secrets of the Simpsons. You know, he's going to be telling a whole bunch of rare stuff, stuff that people didn't know. I mean, even in that clip, he's revealing something the mg on the side of his head you know so on the side of homer's head that <laughs> is um and i'm really excited about his talk with linda barry just to see how they bounce off of each other and what she will bring out of him yeah and i'm really interested in i'm, I'm really looking forward to all the local stuff we've got as well Who yeah what you got Oh, um, we have opening. We've got Lunig, and I've never mm. seen him. He's going to be doing three different things. He's doing it in-conversation. He's going to be doing some live drawing, which is finally something we've only briefly had once, at a graphic. And then he'll be doing a Q&A. Um, we <laughs> and we've got First Dog on the Moon that I'm really excited about because I know that he's done a bunch of live stuff that I've never actually seen what he does live and yeah, so I think he's First
0: Dog on the Moon is a political cartoonist who does a uh, mostly online work with um, Crikey is it Crikey and The Guardian and now. The Guardian yeah, and sure. they poached him yep. yeah yeah Good
2: poaching. (laughs) Great poaching. He's done an amazing interview with Matt Groening. I've read a lot of Matt Groening interviews. but This interview between First Dog and Matt is astounding. And First Dog has kind of illustrated, kind of done cartoon panels about his reactions to interviewing Matt. And it's just two cartoonists discussing their trade. And it's really heartfelt, really worth having a a read. Um, Look, aside from Matt, Brandon Graham is, you know, someone who's just... Yeah, a lot of that a lot of the people that I follow have been around, the writers have been around for a while, so brian k vaughan neil gaiman david lapham um whereas brandon is one of the most distinctive voices to kind of break through in recent times and he jumped at the chance of coming out i think we're gonna fly up um phil barlow and helen meyer from melbourne who are those um animators who did like the elf cartoon and the real ghostbusters they're australian they spent a long time in Hollywood. Eclipse they published the Zooniverse comics back in the early 80s that Brandon's republishing as part of Ireland Mm -hmm. Um, look it's a shame we couldn't get Emma Rios out as well but just to kind of delve into his mind and, and hear about the future. Um, you know, we've got some amazing screenings going on as well. Yeah, this I'm a colossal Mobius and fan.
4: And so yeah. many of these screenings
0: are free too, right? They, well, uh, every, uh, almost
4: everything we've discussed is free. The way that graphic is set up right now is we've got the major events in the concert hall, and that's things like Matt Groening, the Matt and Linda talk. We've got the Asian Dub Foundation doing a live score to George Lucas's seminal first film, THX 1138. That looks amazing. It's that will be, be, be amazing.
2: Yeah. I saw
0: them do that for La Haine at the oh. Edmore Theatre years I and years wish ago. wish I saw that. That was I a fantastic Lain. night. Yep. Well, have you seen Lehane, the French, French movie? No, all in it oh, too. It's, it's very, very up your alley. Okay, yeah,
4: yeah. But the, around the perimeter of the concert hall, it's free action all day on the 5th and there and a lot of the 4th as well including the the, Brandon the Graham evening. talk. Yeah, the 5th yeah, is free. the
2: 5th is all the free talks and all the free
4: screenings. Yes. Yeah. So you can just basically go. You don't you, and you have to register. Well, it's yeah. best if you
2: register, but there are kind yeah. of tickets held for on the day for all the screenings and all the talks, so you can just turn up.
4: Yeah, and opening the festival, we have a uh, Neil Gaiman event where he where we're showing a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't been screened anywhere outside of the UK. Um, Oh, and America. He's had a whole bunch of works turned into adapted for television. We're showing two of those and the documentary Dream Dangerously, which hasn't been shown in Australia. And he will be appearing live via satellite as well, Ooh. interacting with the crowd. And that is free. Yeah. That's great. Again, register. get yeah.
2: to register to go. And those films, the Neil Gaiman short stories that have been filmed, urged uh, by Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard. And they uh, did the Nick Kaye film, 20,000 Days on Earth. And they did the Scott Walker installation um, in, uh, in Vivid Live 2014. And they're incredible artists. So I'm dying to see the works. Very exciting.
0: Now, finally, we've we've recently kind of shared some of our thoughts on the, the con scene in Sydney, um, and how it's less about it becomes less and less about comics as as, as they get bigger and bigger. Do you think there's ever a, a way that you'd be able to grow graphic to or, or do something similar to graphic that combines that you know like. The, the, the great sides of, of, of a Comic-Con you know like you know the celebration Dangerous of back comics <laughs> exactly digging through people's That's old it. old back issues exactly yeah. is there is there room for that to happen in the future?
2: Look potentially it's part of the kind of balance that you do the, the Sydney Opera House is a performing arts centre of course. Um, so what it everything gravitationally gets pulled towards stages and it's all about performances and that's always been one of the challenges with graphic is you're dealing with people that are used to dealing with pages uh, and used to dealing with kind of created work that isn't necessarily on a stage so we've often discussed this how do you capture the energy and enthusiasm and verve of a con um, but keep it about this gold standard celebration of performances on a stage um, last year with uh, the Mad Max piece and the kind of activations in the foyer it was, we felt it was the start of this to be able to have a series of free things in the foyer everyone can rush in for the Walking Dead kind of premiere and then hang around watch the screenings catch the talks if you want to buy a ticket to the George Miller thing or the Sarah Blasco album preview you can um, and I think it's about us turning our mind to those free foyer spaces but again we the opera House isn't set up to kind of pay your 15 dollar ticket and experience the whole mm, thing sure, we yeah. need to charge 60 odd dollars for the big kind of talk in the concert hall how do you have a ticket for the big things in the big room and then free or a nominal ticket for everything else it's it's a wrestle but we do love that energy mm. but without kind of you know the things that we're not about and, and fair play to cons they should be about launching things and they should be about giving you a you know a concentrated hit of everything that's coming up for the coming year mm-hmm. um, but we're, we're doing something quite different
4: I'd like to have more back issues <laughs> it, is, it is a hard thing to do because we have limited space at at the in the foyers of the opera house um, what Ben said encapsulates it perfectly I mean the main thing that I feel we've had to explain to a lot of the artists that we that we're presenting at graphic is that we're not a convention and that it's not like you just come into the opera house and every you pay one price and everything is for free we're a collection of individually ticketed events in the past and now we're large scale individually ticketed events with a massive day of free stuff that you come and experience during the day sure
0: yeah well we've, Sean and I have a, have a cool idea that we're working on that we, we're going to tell you about once we once we stop fantastic we, we <laughs> but uh, Jordan and Ben, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, everything about the graphic festival can be found online at
2: uh, graphic.sydneyoperahouse.com. And uh, the dates again are the 4th, 5th and 6th. Uh, Matt Groening, Secrets of the Simpsons Talk is on the evening of the 4th of November. Mm-hmm. And the big free day of activities and everything else is on the 5th of November.
3: And there are still tickets available? Because I haven't
2: bought yeah, any Yeah, there, 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 <laughs> there absolutely are. And you can turn up on the day and all the free things. There will be a selection of tickets held as well. Amazing. Cool. Yeah,
4: we have we have specifically held allocations so that everyone can rock up on the day. And
2: what time does Neil get mean kick off? is at it eleven. Uh, it's eleven, yeah. Yeah, they so get it's kind of, There at eleven,
4: folks. Yeah.
3: I have a question because you guys have actually met Neil Gaiman, like yes. in person. What does he smell like? <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's I, like I have like no leather, memory. Is that suspicious? Leather and sage <laughs> and like magic.
4: He's very clean. I bet he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> it's been awesome coming, Jordan and
2: I. You know, we do a little bit of press and media and things for for graphic. We never really get to kind of just talk nonstop about comics and what what creators. Yeah, smell and, like. it, <laughs> and what creators smell like. I want like.
3: a full rundown at the end of um, <laughs> do, this year. Do going to be at
0: every session. She'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a post episode, we'll, um, and we'll she'll run down what everyone smells yeah, like. We can this run, run you me. past <laughs>
2: each of them for. A,
4: <laughs> scratch and sniff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> creators. Creators amazing. This one smells Okay, let's end the episode. Okay, okay. Which right.
0: creator you think smells the best and which creator you think smells the worst?
4: From this year's
3: graphic or from, just from generally? Every, just generally. I bet you, I bet you, uh, This is. see, there's no way this can't be me because I was going to be like, I bet Rob Liefeld smells weird, but I bet he does. And I bet... Um, I disagree.
0: He probably smells like Lynx like, like Africa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He
3: smells <laughs> like Lynx. And I bet Brandon. Graham I would love, beautiful. even though I'm not a big
0: fan of his output now or ever. Really, I would love to see Rob Liefeld in, in yeah, conversation. Yeah, that would be huge. Like I
3: would love to see Rob Liefeld and Brandon Graham in conversation. There it would, would be
2: something in that, wouldn't there? I yeah. I mean, they love each other. I was yeah. I was never really read Rob Liefeld comics and things, but looking at the freedom he's given Brandon and profit has blown my is mind amazing. as well. I even mentioned profit, and you kind of go, yeah, he's he's seen something in Brandon that's led him just go and go and go It's which is really cool
0: yeah. he's a great person to listen to he's mad it's fantastic <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's another podcast called Let's Talk Comics and they did a two-part interview with um, Rob Leifeld last year and it's insane it's fantastic you know he's just this, this rich crazy person
2: <laughs> unbelievable makes a good podcast <laughs>
0: alright well thank you so much to the team from Graphic for joining us today uh, you can find yes. Serious Issues online at facebook.com slash Podcast, or send us an email to serious issues at kingscomics.com uh, until next week stay serious
3: yeah, <laughs> that's our thanks, uh, guys. <laughs> that's
0: our, our tagline that Siobhan is not okay with. You got a better one? I feel I feel very awkward saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks guys.